verses 15 through 17. Well, before we turn to the text, I wonder how many of you have read this book uh, by Cormac McCarthy called The Road. Um, Cormac McCarthy, I believe, just died, actually, but he won a Pulitzer Prize for this novel, The Road. It's a very stirring novel, and I want to read to you um, the back part summary, rather than try to summarize it on my own, uh, what this book is uh, about and why it's so touching for many. This story is about a father and son who walk alone through a burned-out America, and nothing is moving in the ravaged landscape except for ash on the wind. It's cold enough to crack stones, and when the snow falls, it is gray. The sky is dark. Their destination is the coast, although they don't know what, if anything, awaits them there. They have nothing, just a pistol to defend themselves against the lawless bands that stalk the road, the clothes they are wearing, a cart of scavenged goods, and each other. The road is a a profoundly moving story of a journey. Boldly imagines a future in which no hope remains, but in which the father and his son, each the other's world entire, are sustained by love. It's a very dark but moving novel. But it's that love as... That summary described the love between this father and son that sustains them through a very broken and dark world, even when they experience all sorts of dangers and horrific scenes. Even when so many people around them seem to have given up on life and have lost their heads. Friends, I think a whole lot of what we deal with in the Christian life is fighting the temptation to think that life is just a hopeless walk through devastation after devastation. That life is just a walk through the ash of a world after disappointment after disappointment. So much of the Christian life is fighting the temptation against bitterness and fear in a very hopeless world. And then all of these news stories, stories of economic woes, pandemic woes, Social unrest, social media posts feed into these fears and feelings of hopelessness. It goes so deep into our minds and into our hearts, and it causes many people to lose heart. But I think the Christian walk is very much about not losing heart when the world around you is. So much of the Christian life is not losing your head and losing your hope in a world that's gone crazy and has no hope. So much of the Christian life is about having confidence and peace when everyone else around you has none. But how in the midst of such a walk, of such a life, do you keep your head and not lose your heart? How in this world, shuffling through it, Can we as Christians have a love, an entire focus on another being that sustains us through thick and thin? Is that just a matter of willpower? Is that just a matter of trying hard enough and just kind of white-knuckling it through life? Is that how people have hope and peace? Or is having this sort of heart through such a world, is that just something you're born with? You have the genetics for it? I don't think so. 
I don't think so. I think the ability, as it were, to not lose heart when everyone else is, as Christians, has nothing to do nothing to do with how much skill you have or genetics. It actually has to do with what you are filling your heart with. When everyone else in the world is losing their head and losing their heart, what you have to do is fill your heart with truths. Truths that you draw on so when life is hard, you do not lose heart. And it keeps you going down the right path. Path to salvation. Friends, that's what I want us to see as we look at this passage in Ephesians 5 this afternoon with God's help. As we continue to learn from the Apostle Paul how Christians are to live distinctly in this world, especially in a world that doesn't have hope and when so many people around us are losing heart. So look now with me as we study these encouraging words from Paul in Ephesians 5, verses 15 through 16. Because what you're about to hear now is the very word of God. Paul says, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish but understand what the will of the Lord is. Praise God for those holy words. It's encouraging words for us. And the main reason or the main idea in this text that I want us to see today is very simple as I started off with. Christian, walk in a way that keeps you from losing heart. Walk in a way that keeps you from losing your heart when the world around you is losing theirs. Walk in a way that keeps you from losing heart when everyone else is losing theirs. How are you going to do that? Well, there's a very simple outline to just these three verses that you have in front of you on your, on your bullets. And Paul starts off with a command in the first part of verse 15, which we'll look at first. But then he describes the characteristics of a Christian walk. That's going to keep us from losing heart in this world. There's actually three characteristics to this. Um, and as I was going through it this week, I thought I could uh, get all three of those into one sermon. But I thought, you know, it's probably better to wait for the third characteristic. So Lord willing, next week we'll look at that. The two characteristics today that we'll see about walking carefully in this world. But just notice right off the bat here, because Paul is, again, telling us, giving this command, right, to walk. Look carefully at how you walk. And if you have your Bible open, you can see that what Paul's doing here is actually concluding a very long section on walking. Right, so much of the book of Ephesians is first about being seated, and then you're standing, and then you're walking. That's sort of a model for the Christian life. And Paul here has started in chapter 4, talking about walking as Christians, and he's gone through and explained so much of what it looks like to walk, applying the truths of the gospel to our lives in different ways. And he's starting to wrap that up. So these are the closing verses, really, of walking the Christian life. And he says in verse 15, look carefully then how you walk. And what he means by that as a Christian is you need to exercise constant attention. You need to be very discerning as a Christian in your life. As you're walking in this world spiritually, as you're living and carrying out the Christian life, you need to be very discerning and wise in what you do with your life. You need to be like a mountain climber, you know, ascending a very steep peak, you have to be 
watching where you're putting your hands and feet, right? You can't be lazy and just uh, sort of be lax in that ascent. No, the Christian life takes careful attention. Christians must be watchful in how we live. This ties in perfectly, actually, with what Paul's just said in verse 14. If you remember from last week, Paul closed with saying, Awake, O sleeper, arise from the dead, right? Stay awake in the Christian life. Don't fall asleep at the wheel. Look carefully, then, how you walk, how you live your life. And as I've already said, I'll say it one more time, though. Paul here is really echoing as well many of the teachings and the Psalms about how this life is... There's many snares, there's many pitfalls as we're walking through. They try to trip us up, so we need to be mindful of that. And also keeping in mind, right, Bible teaches us, as we'll see in just a moment, that we have an enemy. We have an enemy. An enemy that's tracking us, an enemy that is waiting until you let your guard down. That enemy, the devil, Satan knows, he knows the house of your heart. Okay, He can't get into your heart on his own, but he is watching on the outside. He's peering in through the windows. He can see when the lights are on. He can hear from outside if you're talking with God and conversing with fellow Christians. Our enemy is watching, so we need to watch ourselves, and he's waiting for you to let your guard down. Just leave the door ajar so that when you are weakest, temptation is strong enough to cripple you as a sleepwalking Christian. We don't want to be like Samson, who, while he slept, Delilah cut his hair, weakening him. We don't want to be like Saul, who in his sleep, his spear was stolen. We don't want to be like Noah, who while he slept in a drunken stupor, his graceless son revealed his nakedness. We don't want to be like Eutychus. When God's word comes to us, we're sitting and we fall asleep and fall out the window and die. We want to be awake Christians looking carefully at our lives and the world around us so that we can walk wisely. That's what Paul's saying here in this command. But then notice here, he gives us ways to do that. He doesn't just give the bare command, right? Paul very seldom just gives a bare command without any kind of context or with any way to obey it. He says, here's here's what it's going to look like. You need to walk wisely. That's the first thing. The first characteristic of Looking carefully at your walk is that we need to walk wisely and not foolishly. Paul says in verse 15, you are not to walk as unwise, but wise. Now that's great. I'm sure if you walked outside right now, or go to the mall outside and you asked 100 people, do you want wisdom in your life? Do you want to live a wise life? I bet 99 of those people would say, yeah, I want to live a wise life, right? How can you live a wise life? That's the question. Is living a wise life just sort of knowing a bunch of aphorisms or cliches? Is having a wise life just going to some guru on, the, on some top of a mountain who inherited a bunch of teachings from his guru and then from that other guru before him? Is having a wise life just looking inside of yourself for all the answers? You're just sort of born with it and cultivate it. Is that where wisdom is found? Well, according to the Bible, wisdom is not found by just following a bunch of clever sayings. Wisdom is not found by looking to an elite, educated class that sort of is responsible for transmitting culture. 
Wisdom isn't even found in the art of learning how to succeed in life with the seven habits of highly effective people. According to the Bible, the Bible lays out pretty clearly who is wise and who is a fool. According to the Bible, who is a fool? Psalm 14 tells us, right? Fool says in his heart, what? There is no God. It's a picture of a fool, someone who denies God, who says there is no God. So if you want to be wise, the Bible is very clear, and Paul is clear in this letter as well, that the wise way to live is not found by looking inside of yourself. And it's not found on your own effort or some guru or some product. The wise way to walk is, first of all, to know the one true living God. And to confess that you can't live on your own. That you need him. That you are a sinner in need of salvation. That you could never match up to his perfect law and commands. It's to acknowledge that Jesus lived the perfect life that you cannot. It's the first step in being a wise person and walking wisely in the world. But the Bible is also clear that to be a wise person, you not only need to know the true God, but you also need to know him as he's revealed in his word. Now, we just sang in Psalm 1, for example, the beauty of knowing God's law. The wise person listens to God's law. Proverbs 1, verse 7 says the same thing. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Or Psalm 119, for example, says, God's word is a lamp to your feet and a light to your path. God's word shows us who God is. We're wise, but he also teaches us through his word how we're to live in relationship with him. So you can think about it like this, walking wisely. First of all, having the knowledge of God, knowing him, is going to set you on the right path. Pointed in the right direction. Then God's word is like a lamp lighting your path, right? So you don't get lost. So you kind of can see your destination. God's word is also going to give you the guardrails in life. So you don't just stray and fall uh, into a pit. So we need the knowledge of God, the, the true knowledge of the one God and know him. So we're on the right path, but then his word is guiding us, leading us to the destination we need to go. So as a Christian... You will not lose your head. You will not lose your heart in this world if you are focused on God, pointed in the right direction, if you're guided by his word. Any lifestyle, however, any life that is not centered on Christ, it's not lived by the revealed will of God in his word, is ultimately foolishness. That's what the Bible's teaching us here. So, friends, you need to know your own weakness and inability, though, in life and walking this way. To walk carefully, let's seek God every day in prayer, meditating on his word, asking him, saying, God, I don't know how to do life without you. God, I know I'm left on my own. My heart is so weak, I'm going to fail. And God, now as I study your word, please expose my heart to the sin that is inside of me. I don't want to just read your words for, to tickle my ears. I want to actually have it expose my heart so I can be more Christ-like and see Christ more clearly. That's the way to start walking wisely in life. 
But then Paul goes on here to add more about walking wisely. If you notice that, he's actually clarifying. He'll clarify a little bit more. What does it mean to walk wisely? Because he says here in verse 16, make the best use of your time. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. What does that look like? Making the best use of the time. It could also be translated as redeeming the time or make the most of every opportunity. You want to know what the wise know? The wise know that our time on earth is limited. Wise person knows I'm not going to be here forever. Wise person knows I'm like grass. I'm here today, I'm gone tomorrow. I flourish today in green, but in a few months from now, I'm going to be brown, dark, dead. Wise person knows that we're here today and gone tomorrow. And so the question is, what are you going to do with the time that you have? Paul's asking us, telling us, reminding us that we need to make the best use of the time. To do what? Play video games, watch a bunch of football games. Actually, Christians have the holiest motivation to make make good use of the time. I think back in your mind, if you can, it's been a while since we've been there, but Ephesians chapter 2, Paul actually tells us how we're to make use of the time. So if you're a Christian, you're saved from the deadness of your sin and transgressions. You are saved and cleansed of your sin, but then Paul also says in Ephesians 2, you are saved for a purpose. He says, you are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. So you have a purpose in life. It's your motivation. Your time on earth is short. Make the most of every opportunity you can to do holy works that please God. You know, Jesus gives us a picture of this in one of his parables, a parable of the, of the talents. You remember that parable? Jesus says, you know, there's a master who's going away and he gives his servants, three servants, talents, money. First servant, he gives five talents. is actually a credible, incredible sum of money. More than a lifetime's worth of wages. He gives it to him to, to invest, to do something with it, to, to, to make a profitable investment with it. Next servant, he gives two talents. The other servant, one, one talent, right? And we know from the parable, it's the first two servants who do act on it, what they've been given to make a profit. And the third servant with the one talent doesn't. And Jesus' point there is, you've been given gifts. You've been given so much by your master. Don't waste the time. Use the time you have right now. You don't know when the master is coming back. But when he does, make sure you show him you've been wise with the investment that he's given you. Christian, God has given you spiritual gifts to use. You need to have a holy and zealous opportunism when it comes to using those gifts. Don't let time slip you by. And don't even let the evil of this world slip you by when it comes to deciding how you're going to use God's gifts. I think as Christians in this world, many of us are perhaps overcautious in life. I'm going to confess, I'm, I'm, I tend to be lean on the overcautious um, on the overcautious part of the spectrum in my life. And many of us as Christians, we, we know we're, we're supposed to be doing something with the gifts we've been given, but 
we're a little bit afraid to fail or maybe we're afraid that like this evil world is going to entrap us somehow. And so what happens is we're often like somebody who's in a car at an intersection waiting for a light to turn green. This person's just sitting at the intersection, sees the light turn green and says, you know, I'm going to wait for the next one just to make sure it's safe. So the light cycles through again. The person's watching. The light turns green again. The person says, you know, I'm just going to wait again for one more green signal just to make sure it's safe to go through this intersection. Now, friends, nobody would drive like that, right? People don't drive like that. When, when the light is green, people go. They know it's safe or it should be safe. Well, there are Christians who kind of drive like that. Their lives like that. We're so overcautious. Overcautious for signs from God. We think God's going to give us some supernatural sign to act on. And so we wait to confirm, to really know what God is going to say to us. We wait for an auspicious moment to act. And that leaves some people perpetually in that waiting mode. And they're never redeeming the time. Never acting on the time that they have. Opportunities can get very easily lost. Paul is saying, when you know God, you study his word, you trust in good conscience that you're obeying it, and you see that green light, make the most of it while you have the time. Make the most of it while you have your time. I can tell you, you will never lack for direction in life. You'll never lack for motivation in this life. If every decision and every day is prompted by this question, am I making the best use of my time to please God? Am I making the best use of my time to please God today, to please him tomorrow if he gives me tomorrow, to please him for the foreseeable future? Right? What school should I go to? What, what job should I take? What city should I move to? Ask yourself that question, is it going to please God? Am I going to be walking closer in good works, walking closer in Christ by making this decision? To answer questions like that, ask yourself, is what I plan to do and whatever decision I make, is it going to result in me walking in good works that God's prepared for me? I think we were talking about this at lunch, actually. Somebody sharing about choosing down a job offer in another city because there was no healthy church there. Friends, that's a wise decision. If you know in life you're going to choose a job or you're going to choose an opportunity, there's no Christians, no healthy church, it's probably not wise for you to make that decision to do that thing. Make the best use of your time by choosing wisely whatever's going to help you grow in godliness and obey God's word to walk in good works. It's one other way I think we can practically think about this. Making the best use of the time now. Friends, I've been thinking about this a lot in my own life. One way I want to see in my own life, but also for the life of our church, to make the best use of the time is in our evangelism and discipleship at Christ Covenant Church. And if we want to see this church grow in faith, but also in numbers of people, then we need to be on the lookout for people to share the gospel with. We need to be on the lookout in how we can invite people into discipleship relationships. We need to not be shy about inviting non-believing friends to church. That's a good thing to do. And I say this as much as to myself as to any of you. 
I, our church, I believe, is at a pivotal moment. We're, we're kind of at that crossings, that intersection. Let's be bold. Let's be zealous. Let's have a holy opportunism to share the gospel as we can, to look for someone to share the gospel with, that we wouldn't, look, that we wouldn't miss opportunities to do that, to make the most best use of our time. As Paul's saying here, walking wisely involves making the best use of our time. But then he gives a, a reason for this. He kind of clarifies this a little bit more. So we're walking wisely. We need to do that. We've looked at that. Part of the way we do that is by making the most of the time. But why? Paul says, why? Following up on this, did you notice? He says, because the days are evil. The days are evil. Now, I think on the one hand, we should read this as a warning. For our Christian walk. When Paul says in verse 16, the days are evil. You know, he's saying here, watch out. Watch out. There's a real spiritual battle going on here in the Christian walk, right? So we have a real enemy who's trying to lead us down a false path or trip us up in a snare. We have the devil who, as Paul says, is, you know, we're wrestling not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against cosmic powers over this present darkness spiritual forces of evil, Paul says in Ephesians 6. We have a real enemy, the apostle Peter says. Right? He says, be sober-minded, be watchful, because why? Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. So yes, walk carefully. Walk carefully, because the days are evil. As uh, someone once said, there's no enemy worse than an enemy who is never seen and never dies, who is near us wherever we live and goes with us wherever we go. That's a very real enemy that we have as Christians. And so, Christian, keep a holy watchfulness over your heart, watching out for temptation to sin, knowing where you're weak, Because the days are evil. And Satan is trying to trip us up in the Christian walk. That's a warning I think Paul has for us. But on the other hand, I think we should read this also as maybe an encouragement, a motivation. And Paul says the days are evil, right? I wanted to make the most advantage of the time to share the gospel with other people because I know we don't have long on this earth. And I know if there's real spiritual darkness out there, I don't want someone lost in that darkness to die in their sin without knowing Jesus Christ. It's a real motivation for all of us, I think, to really pursue evangelism. Family members, friends, coworkers that we've known for years. How much longer are we going to wait? The days are evil. None of us is guaranteed tomorrow. Make the best use of the time so that these people around us know or at least have an opportunity to hear the gospel. The days are evil, but they're also short. And so, friends, Christians, as Christians, we should be motivated to Christian duties that please God because the days are evil. So thinking about this Christian walk then, again, knowing God kind of, setting us on the right path, the word of God giving us the guardrails so that we don't slide off and also lighting the way for us. But knowing that days are evil are also, that's compelling us, it's kind of giving us the gas to step forward or move forward in the Christian life. That's how we can think of walking wisely in this world. 
It's the first characteristic. A lot to unpack there. But then let's move on there to the second characteristic that Paul shows us here in verse 17 of what it means to look carefully in this world, walk carefully so that we do not lose heart. Paul says in verse 17, Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. So there's the negative command, don't be foolish, right? Don't be ignorant, don't be unaware of God's gracious plan of salvation, of who God is and what he's doing. Then there's the positive command, understand what the will of the Lord is. Now, as Christians, I think we can sometimes get confused about what does that mean, the will of the Lord, right? Sometimes, as Christians, when it comes to the will of the Lord, we think of that as kind of like a divine crystal ball, right? We try to look into this crystal ball and say, what is God's will for me to do in my life? Am I supposed to go here, go there, marry this person, um, take this job? Am I supposed to move to this city? I don't want to make a bad decision, right? I want to prayerfully decide something based on God's will, and that's not a bad thing, right? It's good. It's definitely good to pray through and look through Scripture whenever we're going to make it an important decision. But I don't think that's actually what Paul has in mind here when he's talking about understanding the will of the Lord. Because if you think back in Ephesians, in Ephesians 1, Paul has already explained what he has in mind in this letter for the will of the Lord. And when he means the will of the Lord, what he's really talking about, if you remember in Ephesians 1, he's expanding God's gracious plan of salvation throughout the ages, right? And how that has been accomplished in you through Jesus Christ. Now, God ordained every single step of salvation. He accomplished it, and now he's applying it all according to his sovereign will. That's what Paul is talking about here from understanding the will of God. So if you're to walk in hope and not lose heart in this world, you need to understand God's salvation plan. You need to understand that God ordained this from the beginning of humanity, that God created this world. He made it good. There was no sin in this world. He created Adam and Eve, our first parents. He made humanity to rule the world under him. And although our first parents, Adam and Eve, they had complete freedom to live in fellowship and friendship with God. They instead rebelled against him and they broke that fellowship that was with God. They chose to rule this world themselves under their own power rather than under God. And because of that broken fellowship, we also know that instead of enjoying his holy pleasure, God's holy pleasure, we actually deserve God's righteous wrath. And it's through sin that we have all died spiritually. And the entire world is affected by sin. And as we are sons and daughters of Adam and Eve, then we inherit that sin, right? Paul says we are children of wrath. We are sinful in nature, but we also sin every day on our own accord. Now, God would be perfectly just, right, to judge matters there, to leave human beings under his judgment. That's his, that would be just of him to do, but he didn't. Instead, God set in motion his plan to save his people from sin and judgment. He set free, or is setting free in his plan, the entire creation from its subjection to sin and curse. And how does he do that? How does God free us from the curse of sin? By sending his only son, Jesus, the true man who would bear the penalty of sin and die in our place. Christ Jesus 
died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15. And the best known verse in the Bible summarizes what is required as a response to this good news. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. It's a proper response to the gospel. To believe in Jesus is both a wholehearted trust in him for the forgiveness of sins, resting your entire life on him, that's part of it, but it's also a decision to forsake your sin, to turn away from it, to repent. So all those who do truly repent and believe in Jesus will be redeemed, are redeemed, are restored to right relationship to God. So believing in Jesus also requires us to trust in Jesus as he truly is. He's not just an ancient man in history, but he's a living Savior. Friends, God's plan, his will, is not only to rescue lost sinners, but it also to restore creation. As Romans 8 says, the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. And friends, that means the heavens and earth are going to pass away in a moment and be radically transformed. And Christ will come again and um, redeem his people to bring them into presence of the living God. That's the will of God. That's the will of God that Paul is talking about here. You need to understand it. If you're to live carefully, to walk wisely in this world. Just remember who Paul is talking about here. Who's he talking to, I mean? He's talking to Ephesians. He's talking to Christians in a city spiritually dark. Christians who live in a very modern city that's full of sexual immorality. Christians who live in a city that's run by the Roman Empire, a very powerful government, and the person, the head of that government, thinks he's next to God, totally in control. He's talking to a city where business owners would threaten mob action against Christians who threaten their business. I've said it before, I'll say it again. That doesn't sound too much unlike our city here. Very modern city we live in. Christians are a small minority. Livelihoods can be threatened. Living under a very powerful government seems to have everything in control. You know, we talk about the government being able to monitor everything. We just assume they know everything about us, right? Ephesians are not that much different situation than us. What does Paul say to them? It's there to not lose heart. Walk wisely, live carefully, understand what the will of the Lord is. And you'll not lose heart, you'll not lose your head. That's incredible comfort, friends. It's believing, understanding that Jesus, God's culmination of his power, because what that is going to do is going to propel you to walk and live as a Christian in a city in a country not unlike the Ephesians. So, you need to know it's going to harden you because believing that, believing that Jesus alone has power and authority to save sinners, Jesus alone is the Savior and Lord of all things. He unites all things in him, things in heaven and on earth. It's not just going to remove you from danger and difficulty. He's not just going to do that, but he's 
going to remind you that there's no earthly authority or spiritual power that defeats those who are in Christ. What's going to keep you walking as a Christian when everyone else loses heart? It's believing that Jesus alone will give you peace. He doesn't take away your pain and suffering, but he lets you know that there's a wisdom, there's a plan, there's a purpose, there's a direction for it in this universe because we have a God who is in complete control. Because of that, we can have a peace that no one else can enjoy. So as Christians, you can walk wisely and carefully and confidently with full hope in this world because we have a Savior and Lord who is accomplishing all things according to his will. Do you understand God's salvation plan? Do you understand the will of the Lord? I'm not asking if you just know it. I'm not asking if you just appreciate the details and you like the story. I'm asking if you understand God's gracious salvation plan. Because to understand it, as Paul's talking about here, is much more than just mental awareness. It's so much more than just passive knowledge. To understand the will of the Lord and God's salvation plan, according to Paul in the Bible, is to be actively aware of it. To the point where the gospel has grabbed you and transformed you. There's a big difference between knowing God's will and understanding it in this sense. You can know all the facts of salvation in the Bible. You can intellectually know these things as I laid out. That is not the same thing as submitting to Jesus Christ, confessing your sin to God, acknowledging that you do not meet His holy standard, submitting your life to Jesus Christ, who did live the perfect life, took on God's wrath and punishment in our place, and then putting your entire life under His authority and obeying His commands. Just knowing these things are facts is not the same thing as orienting your entire heart, your mind, your soul, and your affections on who God is. Understanding the will of the Lord says, I'm going to rest my entire life on Jesus Christ and put myself under his authority and God's word is going to direct my life in all things. Do you know God's plan of salvation or do you understand it? Let me illustrate this just briefly before we move on here. When there's a scheduled flight from Los Angeles coming into Shanghai, the air traffic controller, he knows all the details of that flight. He knows the flight pattern. He knows when it took off. He knows when it's going to land. He knows the runway it's going to land on. He knows the gate that it's going to go to. He can find out how many passengers are on there. He can find out the name of the pilot if he wants to. He knows everything about the various stages of the flight. He knows all those little details. But imagine on the other side of that flight, there's a woman, and her fiancé is on that plane. Now, she doesn't know the exact time of arrival or all the, the runway and gate, but she knows the plane is coming, and she is overjoyed at the prospect of her fiancé's coming, and she's going to do everything she can to prepare for his arrival. Maybe she's going to buy some new clothes, look nice, 
And maybe she's going to tell her friends and family because she's so excited. They want, she wants her friends and family to join in welcoming him. And while she's waiting or been waiting, she's going to uh, keep herself for him alone. She's going to talk about him all the time that he's not there. She's very excited. Now, it'd be foolish for her to know that her fiancé is coming, but then just return to her past life of singleness, living as if she was single. It'd be foolish of her to do nothing for him or about him, to change nothing about her life. In a similar way, friends, Paul is saying the same thing to Christians. He's saying it'd be foolish for you as a Christian to say you know God's salvation plan, but to do nothing about it, to make no difference in your life. If you truly understand it, understand the gospel, it will have so transformed you that it's going to, it's going to determine everything about your life. It's going, to, it's going to show you where you're going to help you make decisions. It's going to motivate you to tell others about Jesus Christ. In fact, if the gospel doesn't transform you at all, it's perhaps a sign that you haven't been transformed, that you don't really understand. If you show no lie or no remorse over sin, show no signs of repentance, if Jesus is not ruling your heart, then perhaps that's evidence of an unchanged heart. So do you understand, truly understand God's salvation plan? Can you see it in your walk? in your life. Paul's saying, when you are changed by Christ, you'll walk in such a way that's totally different than the world around you. You'll measure time based on eternity, not finitely. You will see setbacks in your life, not as fate, just sort of happened, but as God's providence, determined by his sovereign will. You will set goals based on how it's going to make you holier, based on what glorifies God rather than personal pride and selfishness. You will speak truth even when it costs you dearly. Friends, Christians will walk each day not with despair, but with hope when we truly understand God's salvation plan. And even though these days are evil, we as Christians don't need to fear them. We know the devil prowls around like a prowling lion, but we know that the Lamb of God is seated on his throne and he will come again to crush Satan once and for all. Even though this world is hard, friends, we know that there's nothing in your life, my life, that takes place by chance, but everything comes from God's fatherly hand according to his will. Friends, this is how Christians can walk wisely in this world without losing our heads. Fill your heart with these truths of who God is. He's given us his word. Be motivated. And also with the warning, the days are evil. And also truly understanding and taking to heart, believing, knowing God's salvation plan and the good news that it is. These characteristics of a faithful Christian walk will keep you from losing your heart. Christians, are to walk carefully in this world with wisdom and by understanding the will of the Lord. Amen. Let's go to God now. Ask his help to do that.